Welcome to this episode of the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. The mission of the Greenville Oaks Church is to inspire people to follow Jesus because we're convinced that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Find out more about Greenville Oaks at greenvilleoaks.org and connect with us on social media. We would love it if you could rate and review our podcast. It makes it easier for others to find us. And now, on to this week's message with Lead Minister Wade Hodges. Hello, everyone. Good to see all of you here today. I occasionally like to do a teaching where I follow a theme or trace a thread through the scriptures to see where it leads. And today, to prepare us for the holiday eating season, I thought I would follow the thread of food. Because if everything we do in life has the potential to be a spiritual act and therefore connect us to the reality of God, I say we equip ourselves to overeat, or let's say feast in as Christianly a way as possible by developing a robust theology of food. So what does the Bible have to say about food? Quite a lot, actually, more than we could ever fit into a single teaching. In fact, if you were to delete all the references to food in the Bible, it would be a much skinnier book because food is playing a prominent role in the story the Bible is telling. So from the very beginning, food has been a sign of God's gracious provision. It's been one of the primary pointers to the goodness of God. In Genesis chapter 1, the very end of the first creation story, part of the work God does on the sixth day is to provide food for every living creature, and it was good. One of my favorite psalms is Psalm 104, and it speaks of how the order of creation points to the ultimate goodness of God. And part of that order is how God provides food, not just for our sustenance, not just so we can survive, but also for our enjoyment. The psalmist says in Psalm 104, verses 14 and 15, God makes grass grow for the cattle and plants for people to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth. Wine that gladdens human hearts, oil to make their faces shine, and bread that sustains their hearts. And then the psalmist continues in verse 27 and 28. These all, all these creatures that the psalmist has named, these all look to you to give them their food at the proper time. And when you give it to them, they gather it up. And when you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. Food has always been a sign of God's gracious provision. When the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness after the exodus from Egypt, what did God do? God provided for them food, manna from heaven to eat, water from a rock to drink. 
when God's people want to remember and celebrate God's goodness, God's provision, God's salvation. What do they do? They observe a festive meal, a feast like the Passover feast. God's people have always anchored their memory of God's mightiest deeds in the eating and enjoyment of food. It's a sign of God's provision, but some of you are probably ahead of me on this. Food is also connected to sin and its consequences. Sin enters the world in Genesis 3 through the eating of forbidden food. And as a result, God curses the ground, saying in Genesis 3, verse 17 and following, because you ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. So now through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Humanity will no longer easily just reach out and grab its food from a tree. It will require work, toil, struggle. Sin changes our relationship with God. Of course, it also changes our relationship with the ground. We see that. It then goes on to cost humanity some of its food. What's the price of sin? Well, you got to give up some of your food. The ancient sacrificial system was built upon the idea that humanity would sacrifice, give up a portion of its food, grain, animals, for the forgiveness of sins to stay right and connected with God. Food is a pointer to God's goodness, but it's also right there in the middle of sin and its consequences. Food is also symbolic or meant metaphorical description of our relationship with God. For the people of God, food is a symbol of their fidelity and faithfulness, their commitment to God. The book of Leviticus lists a number of clean and unclean foods, foods suitable, the clean ones for sacrifice and eating. And God sets Israel apart from their neighbors with this special menu. These are the foods you're allowed to eat. These are the foods you are not allowed to eat. And this special menu identifies Israel as the special people of God set apart for a holy purpose. And this special menu is important to God's people. They take it seriously with commitment and faithfulness. For example, when Daniel and his companions are captured by the Babylonians. They refuse to eat the king's food from the royal table, even though it could be interpreted as a sign of resistance. It's an act of loyalty and allegiance to God. Later on, in stories told just before the time of Jesus, Jewish heroes were actually slaughtered by a tyrannical warlord because they refused to eat pork what they would eat 
And what they refused to eat was a marker, a badge of their faithfulness to God. It was also symbolic of their dependent relationship on God. God uses food and the language of food to remind us that there's more to life than food. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, one does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. God's words are sometimes described as food. Jeremiah 15, 16, when your words came, I ate them. Psalm 119, verse 103, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. The words of God come to us like food and we ingest them, we digest them. They become a part of us and they sustain us. Isaiah 55 describes God's forgiveness, God's restoration as an invitation to eat the best kinds of food. Isaiah says in verse one and two, come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen, listen to me and eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest affair, a renewed, restored relationship with God is like sitting down to a feast. And so we shouldn't be surprised that food plays a pivotal role in Jesus's life and ministry too. Before he launches his public ministry, Jesus goes out wilderness, just as Israel did, and Jesus stays there for 40 days, just as Israel was there for 40 years, and Jesus fasted from food. And at the end of that time, the tempter comes to him and challenges him to turn stones into bread so he can eat. And Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 8.3, which we just read, and says, no, 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 one does not live on bread alone, but on the word of God. And then when Jesus does launch his public ministry, when he reveals his glory or begins to reveal his glory for his disciples to see, how does he choose to do it? Well, it's at a wedding feast. And he turns water into wine. He refuses to turn stones into bread, but he will turn water into wine. I'll let you make of that whatever you will. In John 4, Jesus is sitting next to a well having a conversation with a woman. And during that conversation, he offers her living water to drink that will quench her thirst forever. And then at the end of that chapter, his disciples come to him and say, Lord, you really need to eat some food. And Jesus tells them, my food, what sustains me, what gives me strength, my food is doing the will of the one who sent me, John 4. 34. How does Jesus communicate acceptance and welcome to sinners and religious outcasts? He sits down at them with a table 
and breaks bread with them. He eats food with them. How does God communicate to Peter after Jesus' resurrection and ascension that this good news about Jesus is now for all people and, now, and not just for Israel, those who observe a special menu? He does it with a dream about food. You're catching on. Reversing Leviticus and saying, now all foods are clean. All foods are good to eat. And in saying this, God is saying, all people are now welcome at the table. All people can sit with Jesus and share his food. In his teachings, one of Jesus's favorite ways to describe the kingdom of God was as a feast. He was always telling these stories, stories about meals and parties and tables. Saying in Matthew chapter eight, verse 11, I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. What is the kingdom of God like? You ask, well, Jesus says it's a feast. Just before he dies, what does Jesus give to his disciples as a way to help them remember and celebrate who he is and what he's about to do for them on the cross? He taps into the festive tradition of Israel, specifically the Passover meal, and gives his disciples a festive meal, a feast to eat and drink remember him by, take this bread, it's my body. Take this cup, it's my blood. Take and eat and drink. And then, of course, in John 6, maybe the ultimate food passage from Jesus, he describes himself as the bread of life. And then later on in that chapter, beginning in verse 53, he says, very truly, I tell you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds, the original language, the word is more like munches, the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Taken literally, and some of those who hear Jesus deliver this teaching do take it literally. Taken literally, this is an offensive teaching. But when we read it as an invitation to Jesus, from Jesus to believe in him, and to feast on his teachings, his way of life through faith, it becomes the secret to survival. 
Just as the Israelites ate manna in the wilderness and lived, so those who feast on Jesus, bread from heaven, those who by faith eat and digest, have the words of Jesus become part of them, have eternal life. Jesus is God's bread sent from heaven. Why does the Bible have so much to say about food? Because we can't live without it. And why does Jesus repeatedly describe himself in terms of food? Because we can't live, really live, without him. It's no accident that the scriptures embed significance and meaning in an everyday object we can't live without. Because everything the Bible says about food finds its ultimate meaning. It culminates in Jesus. Jesus is God's ultimate gift of provision, giving the world what we need. Jesus is God's ultimate act of salvation, providing for us exactly what we need. Jesus is the best affair at the finest of feasts. Jesus is the wine of life who gives joy to our hearts. Jesus is living water who quenches our thirst. Jesus is the bread of life, broken and raised for us, who truly satisfies. So as we enter this season of feasting, may every bite that we savor, every sip, we enjoy, point us to Jesus, God's food sent from heaven to give us life. Let us remember that every bite of good food points to the goodness of God. And let us remember that every good meal we share is but a foretaste of the feast we will experience together at the end of the age in the kingdom of God. And as we give thanks for our blessings this week, let us not forget that the greatest blessing of all is to be invited and included in the wedding supper of the Lamb. And our greatest privilege is to feast on Jesus, God's bread, sent from heaven. Invite the worship team to come back up on stage. We'll close with final song, but before we do, I also invite you to stand and join me in reading these words from 1 Timothy chapter 4. Let's read these words out loud together from the Apostle Paul. For everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is to be received with thanksgiving, because it is consecrated by the word of God 
in prayer. And God, we consecrate and receive these gifts from you in prayer through the power of Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the message from the Greenville Oaks message broadcast. We hope this message enriched your life and can help you inspire others to follow Jesus because we honestly believe following him is the best way of life possible. Be sure to connect with us online on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube.